Blog Talk Radio. Happy Friday, everybody. Welcome to the Michael Cutler Hour. I am your host, Michael Cutler. It is November the 6th, 2020. My goodness gracious, uh, does it get any wackier? Here we are three days after Election Day. We still have no final outcome in the presidential election. The Senate is still up uh, in the air, although it seems that the Republicans will retain control of the Senate. Hopefully that will be the case. But uh, interestingly, over in the House of Representatives, well, three, um, I would say, radical members have joined the four-member squad. We're up to seven now and counting, I guess. Ten seats uh, that were held by Democrats went to the Republicans, and that has started something of a hullabaloo within the Democrat Party where relatively moderate Democrats are pushing back against Nancy Pelosi and the hard left turn that the Democrat Party has taken. Uh, We're living in a very strange era. And you know, when you think about 2020, you think about perfect vision, about clarity. If ever there was a year that was foggy and lacked clarity and uh, was off the radar scope, I think Rod Serling writing the script, uh, history will reflect 2020 is that year. Uh, I thank you for joining me today. And I thought that uh, what I wanted to do, because of everything going on, and I've done a couple of radio interviews in the past couple of days and my podcast over at teamdmldmlnews.com, I wanted to just talk a little bit about where the election is, where we are, and what all of this is likely to mean for America and Americans, depending, of course, on how things turn out. Um, I make no secret about it. I'm a lifelong registered Democrat. But I will also make no secret about it that I don't think the Democrat Party is the Democrat Party that I joined way back when, more years ago, than I cared to remember when I was in college and first signed up to vote. I think the Democrat Party has indeed gone hard left, and they've also betrayed their base. Now, what do I mean by that? Why am I a Democrat? Well, I'm a Democrat because I'm a labor guy. My dad uh, and my mom, both were my biggest heroes. I was blessed to have had them for parents. I hope I'm 10% or was 10% the parent to my kids. They were to me. My kids are all grown. Um, They all have careers. They all have degrees. Uh, I'm very proud of all of them. Um, And and so I I hope that that's a good reflection on what my wife and I did in in being parents, because parenting is the toughest job. Not long ago, I was on a radio show, and the host asked me what I was most proud of. And I think he was expecting me to talk about one of my major cases. You know, as an INS agent, I spent half my uh, 15 and my 30-year career, I spent 15 of my 30 years, on the drug task force over DEA intelligence. I've arrested murderers and drug dealers. I've been involved in the investigation and arrest of terrorists. And so he said to me, Mr. Cutler, what was the uh, thing that you're proudest of? And I guess I surprised him because I said I'm proudest to be a parent. I think if we fail as parents, then nothing else that we do really matters. I mean, that's why we're here. When you have children, it's a major responsibility. I really think that Every child in school should have to take care of a, of a pet dog for a week or two and understand what commitment is and then multiply it by a million to understand how daunting a task being a good parent. You know, anybody can have a child. That's not a big talent involved there. But the real trick is to be a good parent, to show love and nurturing and impart discipline and values and um, There's so much, and we always make mistakes. There's no manual. There's no handbook. No one hands you an envelope and says, here, open this up, and it'll answer all your questions. Uh, And when we look back, I have to tell you, I think of missed opportunities and things I would have, could have, should have done better or differently. But on whole, I'm happy with what we did. I'm certainly happy with how our children turned out. I'm very proud of them. But part of being a parent is being concerned about our children's future. Uh, 
my wife was concerned about our children's future when she took prenatal uh, vitamins. You know, from day one, once you know there's a life on the way, you accept the fact that you are um, on a journey, a very important journey, a lifelong journey, to, to raise a child and <clears throat> do everything in our power to give that child every opportunity for a successful and decent and happy life. Emphasis on happy. Happiness is so important. Uh, I remember um, seeing a YouTube video about um, you know the, the founder of Apple, and he said, don't teach people how to uh, make money. It's more important to teach them how to be happy. And, and, and that's really what you want to do, and usually if they're happy, they'll be you know, well-balanced and have good values, and, and hopefully part of that happiness will be a successful career a good education, to be decent and honest and honorable. That, that's part of it's a whole package. But if you're going to be worried about your children's future and making certain that it's a bright one, then you have to become involved in politics. And that's where I'm going with this. Because as much as no one wants to be bothered, no one wants to vote, no one cares, no one pays attention, we look at headlines and we move on, suddenly you realize that we need to have a deeper understanding and appreciation of the political system. We need to get involved. And if you saw what happened this year with the voter turnout, it was unprecedented. Suddenly people were starting to take politics seriously. Because you look at where the country is, you look at the challenges and the threats that we're facing, whether it's COVID-19, whether it's China, whether it's Iran, whether it's Russia, there are so many challenges. I was even now just looking at an article about how scientists are tracking an asteroid called Apophis. It's going to pass by the Earth in a couple of years. But when it comes back in about 40 years, there's a, there's a chance it might strike the Earth, and God knows what will happen. <clears throat> so astronomers and astrophysicists are planning now to see if there's anything that could be done if it looks as though this asteroid will strike the Earth to move it off its trajectory. It's about looking into the future and saying, what do we have to do today so that tomorrow and the day after will be brighter for all of us, especially our kids. I don't always agree with President Trump, but he did something that I think was revolutionary. See, in reality, I think President Trump really isn't a Republican. That's going to be a shocker to people. But he reminds me more of a 60s Democrat, the kind of Democrat still am, which is why I haven't voted for a Democrat in, in quite some time. I have problem with both political parties. Because both parties are putting special interests ahead of American citizens. That's what lobbyists are about. That's what campaign contributions are about. Uh, you know, I, I've been on a campaign, and it seems to be working. You tell me what you think. But I have been adamant about telling everyone I speak to, please don't use a corrosive and dangerous two-word phrase. And what's that phrase? Political correctness. Because it sounds as though we're being polite and considerate and compassionate, and, and, and gosh, most Americans are. We're among the most generous and compassionate people on the planet. We should be proud of ourselves for being the Americans that we are. Our achievements and our capacity to help others. Uh, you know, um, the United States is the world's 911 when there's an earthquake, a, a hurricane, a tsunami, a war, or whatever. Who's first on the scene? It's the United States. And generally we get there in an aircraft carrier. What most people think of as a warship becomes converted into a, a ship of mercy using uh, the nuclear power plants to provide electricity, to provide housing and medical care and food and necessities so that people anywhere in the world that are being hammered by such catastrophes have a fighting chance. That's something we should all be proud of. We're at our best when we're doing that. But we also have to understand that the term political correctness isn't about compassion. It's about the misuse of language so that we confuse people so they don't really understand the issues. And we say, oh, we're being politically correct. We won't say illegal alien just for being politically correct. No, we're being Orwellian. The term illegal alien, and I've discussed this many times, and I don't want to get too much into this tonight, but think about it. The term alien Legal term simply means any person, not a citizen or national of the United States. That's the legal definition in the law. No insult there. It's not a pejorative. So 
So why are we being forced by convention, initially employees of the INS, Immigration and Naturalization Service, by then-President Jimmy Carter? We were ordered. Don't use the word illegal alien. Get rid of that term. Call them undocumented immigrants. There was nothing compassionate about that. It was about obfuscating the truth to convince everybody that anybody who comes to America from another country is an immigrant, and since we're a nation of immigrants, we shouldn't be doing anything to prevent illegal entry or to remove people who've committed crimes and so forth. And you have sanctuary cities, which shield illegal aliens from immigration authorities. Now, understand, our immigration laws were designed to protect national security, public safety, public health, and the jobs and wages of Americans. There's nothing about race in the laws. Unfortunately, President Trump's use of language sometimes became his biggest adversary. So Joe Biden comes along and, and looks at what Donald Trump did. And a narrative had been created, by the way, throughout the president's administration, Trump's administration, that he engaged in Russian collusion, that he's not really a legitimate president. Uh, how many people did you hear chanting after the election? Not my president, meaning Trump. I've never heard that before. But I will tell you. It sent a chill down my spine to have, to have people chanting, not my president. I wasn't a big fan of Barack Obama, but I never said not my president. He was the elected president. He's my president. Whether I like him or not, he's the president. I could take opposite positions on issues. I had big issues with President George W. Bush. In fact, frequently I was asked to testify before congressional hearings when he did some of his crazy stuff where immigration was concerned because he was, in my judgment, undermining national security. The very way that he put uh, the Department of Homeland Security together caused me to come to refer to it as the Department of Homeland Surrender. He cut immigration enforcement in half. That never should have happened. It wasn't what the Homeland Security Act called for. He mixed immigration in with five or six other law enforcement agencies. Again, that shouldn't have happened. He didn't provide uh, adequate funding for the agents. He sent Border Patrol agents to secure the Iraqi border, but left our border open in many ways and in many places. I had big problems. He was my president. But as an American, I have an obligation to speak my mind, the First Amendment, which is now under attack to an extent that I never would have thought possible in the United States. Put on a hat that says, make America great again, and you might get punched in the face. That's not freedom of speech. People are afraid to tell their employer, oh, I voted for Trump. You did what? You're fired. They'd find a reason to fire you. That's not freedom of speech. And that's why the polls are messed up, and I think the polls and the media have a vested interest um, in, in, in getting Trump out of office. Because President Trump did whatever he could do to make certain that the immigration laws were enforced to bring back jobs for Americans. Just within the last couple of weeks, um, he uh, changed the H-1B visa program to make it harder to bring in foreign workers who compete with Americans by demanding that these foreign workers be paid more money. So any high-tech worker who voted against Trump is really biting the hand that feeds him. There are voting irregularities claimed by the president. And, and you know, as, as a former agent, I have to tell you, I tread cautiously. My wife just said to me, well, what do you think? You think there's merit? And I said, I'm curious. I mean, it doesn't look good for, for what happened with the election process. There are allegations that the poll watches were thrown out of the building or kept at a great distance where they couldn't see the ballots, where there were irregularities in terms of the post office and allegations that uh, ballots were received after the deadline and backdated and so forth. These are allegations. I don't know if it happened. As an agent, I would see news reports of high-profile uh, cases that I was part of and sometimes the reporters, boy, they got it right. You wondered if they didn't have the office bugged. And other times I looked at a news report about a case that I was intimately familiar with and involved in, and, and I wondered if it was the same investigation. So I don't know what is going on. I don't know um, the merit or lack of merit to these claims. But if they're true, it is more than a little bit disturbing. In fact, it's very disturbing. The idea that poll watches are being prevented from seeing what's going on. If you have nothing to hide, why not let people see it? And, you know, it's to everyone's advantage. Because if you convince people that somehow votes were stolen, and depending on who wins in, in the courts, because it seems as though this election is destined to head to the courts, 
then roughly half of America will believe that this is not a legitimate presidency. And the attack on the legitimacy of our government um, has been amped up in the last couple of years, especially the last few months. Since COVID, this whole thing would defund police and Black Lives Matter. People out there marching and chanting, what do we want, dead cops? What do we want it now? And pigs in a blanket, fry them like bacon, meaning police officers. This is, these are all attacks on the legitimacy of our government and our officials. And I remember studying um, some political science classes back in Brooklyn College a long time ago, and there was one professor who said, among other things, when the people of a government feel that the government lacks legitimacy, the likely outcome is revolution. Terrifying. I wrote an article for Front Page Magazine about President Kennedy delivering a speech about how the insurgents around the world, primarily in the southern hemisphere of the world, had become the adversaries of freedom. And the tactics that President Kennedy described on May 25, 1961, when he stood before a joint session of Congress, pretty much parallels, pretty much mirrors what we've seen here in the United States, the riots, the creation of autonomous zones, exactly the tactics of insurgents, spewing misinformation, depriving the citizenry of of the facts, um, making people discontent, creating a situation where the people become hostile towards their own government. Look, Donald Trump is not the most articulate guy in the world. My degree was in communications, arts, and sciences. Everyone was excited when he did the debate, debate number two, and they said, wow, what a great job. I'd give him a C. I'd give him a C. Lots of wasted time, lots of ridiculous statements trying to get Joe Biden to say the phrase law enforcement. It's not a debate. And the sad thing is that President Trump had so many things that he justifiably could have talked about during the debate. I mean, I would have been tempted if I was President Trump debating Joe Biden to say to Joe, hey, you know, Joe, I came here today determined to debate your accomplishments as a politician, you've been at it for 47 years. But the problem is, no matter how hard we looked, my staff and I couldn't find anything to discuss. So let me tell you about some of the things I did during my administration and ask why you didn't do something similar. He could have talked about how his administration, that is to say Trump's administration, got rid of uh, the caliphate built by ISIS. Who could forget those beheadings, Daniel Pearl and all the others? It was sickening. Never mentioned it. And the American people have a short attention span. It was horrifying to see these bands of thugs out there taking men like lambs to the slaughter in those orange jumpsuits with their hands tied behind their back, hoods put over their heads, and then their heads lopped off by knives. My God. It was the Trump administration that brought that to an end. It was the Trump administration that moved the U.S. Embassy from Jerusalem, I'm sorry, from Tel Aviv to Jerusalem. How many administrations in the past said, I'm going to do it? They got elected. They never did it. Common knowledge was you're never going to get Arab countries to to recognize the existence of the state of Israel. And there's a number of them that have. And from what the president has said, and I tend to believe this is accurate, there'll be more joining. We suddenly have an alliance between Israel and Arab countries fortifying themselves against Iran, which seems to be hell-bent on getting nuclear weapons in a deal that never should have been signed by the Obama-Biden administration. I mean, look at the accomplishments. Look at the sanctuary cities created by the Democrats that have caused so many people to be killed. And most of the people that suffer from the violence of sanctuary cities are themselves the immigrants, because criminals from other countries will live within the communities that most resemble the people they're familiar and comfortable with. They do it because it's easier to hide yourself in a very big haystack where all the, the, the hay looks just like you. Um, and it's also easier to go after the people that you understand because these are individuals who operate in more than one country. They operate in their home country. They operate here. They could threaten harm to people back in the home country. And think of how sad that is. People come to America. They think they finally made it. Made it. They're going to get away from the criminals and the thugs that gave them nightmares, and they wake up and find that the thugs have accompanied them here because of open borders, because of sanctuary policies. Again, President Trump built the wall. 
was going to try to get in his next administration. Had he, if he wins the election, we'll see how things play out. It doesn't look good right now, but who knows? But the goal was to render sanctuary cities illegal, and they should be illegal. The immigration laws are our first and last line of defense against criminals and terrorists. The 9-11 Commission made it clear that border security is national security. So building the wall, going after sanctuary cities, seeing a rise in wages, the return of industries that we were told by the prior administration would never come back. Incredible achievements. And maybe if the president was better on on hammering those achievements, uh, maybe he would have garnered some more votes. But, of course, if there were voting irregularities, and perhaps it wouldn't have mattered if there are irregularities, and it's a very big if. So we really, as Americans, should all be concerned as to whether or not there is integrity to the voting system. Because if our votes don't count, then we no longer live in a democratic republic. The whole point to the vote is that the people run the government. That's what democracy means. That's what the Greeks envisioned, government by the people. And I know there are conservatives who go nuts and they say, no, 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 this is a republic, not a democracy. It's a democratic republic. The term democracy means that the people run the government. Republic is the form of government, how it works, and it's representative government. It's not majority rule. You know, I don't want to slice hairs here, but that, that's, you know, there's two separate issues. And I don't want people to keep getting confused by this. This is supposed to be a democracy, a democratic uh, republic. So the vote is critical. If people who are the citizens of our country vote and the votes don't matter, then you're not living in a democratic republic. It's just that simple. It's that fundamental. But instead of just looking backwards and asking ourselves or or, or bemoaning the fact that perhaps the election is going to go in the direction we didn't want, what are the takeaways? Well, first of all, the fact that 10 um, seats went from the Democrat column to the Republican column, and those Democrats are upset that the Democrat Party has veered hard left should be encouraging to all of us. Because sometimes systems tend to fix themselves. I think Donald Trump pushed the Republican Party in a better direction because the Republican Party was the party that started this notion about open borders and cheap labor. It was all about profit margins and what was good for companies, not what's good for employees. And suddenly the Republican Party is sounding more like the Democrat Party of of the 60s. Will it stay that way if Trump uh, loses the election? Who knows? But that really is what the government of the United States should be concerned with. What's in the best interest of Americans? When Abraham Lincoln talked about a government of the people, by the people, and for the people, you know what he was really saying? Put Americans first. If the government is of the people, by the people, and for the people, then you don't bring in foreign workers to displace American workers. You don't bring in foreign workers to lower the wages of Americans. When I was a kid, I talked about this on a couple of radio shows this week. I remember the General Electric, the GE company. Uh, By the way, they used to have a slogan, progress is our most important product. Uh, I I don't look at the current Democrats as progressive. Everyone calls them progressive. I call them regressive. Everyone's excited about the future. When I was a kid, on Sunday nights, Walt Disney would come on, and I always hoped it was going to be Tomorrowland because sometimes they had Werner von Braun on to talk about flying to the moon. And I thought, wow, is that exciting. And I actually got to meet some of our astronauts who went to the moon. I met some of our astronauts. I did one astronaut astronaut who did a spacewalk. This is exciting. It was the stuff of my dreams as a young boy growing up in Brooklyn. Tomorrow, we're progressing into the future. We're not progressing into the future if you turn America on its ear and destroy opportunities for American workers. It's my understanding that Biden, for example, wants to greatly increase the number of H-1B visas. Not good news for American high-tech workers. It's the last thing they want to hear. What happened to the Democrat Party and the notion that the Democrat Party was the party of working Americans? There was an interesting article in Wired magazine. It's a website. They tend to lean left. Um, In fact, I'm going to probably do an article about it for Front Page magazine. Let me read the headline to you. This was published on September 13th, a couple of weeks ago. Everyone wants to crack down on China except Silicon Valley. Many Democrats agree with Trump on curbing the country's influence, 
but a Biden administration influenced by tech may strike a different tone. Think about that. And the article goes on and says, Democrats and Republicans use strikingly similar language to condemn China. There's bipartisan support for recent steps by the Trump administration, including tough controls on telecom giant Huawei, restrictions on data flows from Chinese apps like TikTok and WeChat, and by American policies to limit dependence on supply chains from China. Quote, it is a fact that when you're doing business with a Chinese company, you're doing business with the Chinese Communist Party, said Senator Marco Rubio, Republican from Florida. And, and, and so all of a sudden we're hearing about not Biden. And then there are allegations about Biden's son, Hunter, allegations that were swept under the rug, under the rug by the Internet servers, by, by um, Facebook, by um, I'm going to I'm going to say you know Twitter. There were others. I'm, I'm trying to think of a couple of other names, but but those two most prominent. They kind of said, "Oh no, this is more Russian collusion." They they talked about Hunter's computer and said that's more evidence of Russian collusion, even though the FBI came back and said, "No, this isn't Russian collusion. It's believed that that was actually Hunter's computer." And there's been some reports, only reported on in the conservative media that Hunter is now the target of a money laundering investigation by the FBI. That's been reported. If that's the case, I don't know. I'm not an agent any longer, but it's interesting. And I think that that information may have influenced voters. Gee whiz, we want to have a president who might be compromised by the country that has turned into our biggest adversary. But they didn't report on it. Now, why wouldn't they? Well, they're working closely with the Democrat Party, and it goes beyond that. The tech companies want to be able to continue their relationship with China, and Biden is their best hope. So the last thing that the tech companies want is for Biden to lose the election. They are cheering him on, and I believe doing whatever they can do, whatever they could possibly do, to make certain that he wins the election so that he can do with China what they want. And that's to bring the two countries closer together, even though China is, in my judgment, an adversary. So that's the danger that we face. Censorship, not by the government, but by private entities that want to keep information from the American people because they are motivated by profit and a desire to expand um, you know, their, their success, if you will, in Asia, China, and so forth. Americans are supposed to be able to speak their minds freely. The First Amendment, it's enshrined, it's crystal clear. But when Twitter turns off your account, when Facebook puts you in Facebook jail, what happened to your freedom of expression? Because most people today, and it upsets me, and I think Twitter is terrible. I don't use it. I have no interest in it. I wish the president didn't use it the way he did. I mean, it's a way to get around the media. But I would have said to him, Mr. President, why don't you just do a fireside-type chat from the Oval Office once a month and if the mainstream media won't do anything with it, they won't cover your press conference, put it up on the White House website and let everybody know that the first Wednesday of every month, pick a day, you're going to be posting a video where you lay out what it is you're doing and what you want to accomplish and what your dreams are for America. People want to hear a voice. They want to look someone in the eye. Television gives us that opportunity. It's not as good as being there in person, but I have to tell you, I FaceTime my kids when they're traveling, and one of my kids who has whose kids are my grandchildren, obviously, we FaceTime with them frequently. It's not quite as good, but almost as good as being there. You can't hug them, but at least there is that connection, and, and, and that's a wonderful thing. That's where technology could have been used, I think, more effectively by the president. But understand that we have companies that have the chutzpah to turn off the president's Twitter account turn off the press secretary's account is outrageous. This is a level of censorship I never would have imagined happening in this United States, these United States of America. And it's happening routinely. Get off the reservation, say something they don't like, and suddenly you lose your voice. They shut you down. They shut down the New York Post because they wrote an article about Hunter Biden. They didn't like it over at Twitter. How? They shut down their account. How dare you report on this? And their argument was, well, it's unfounded. Turned out Russian collusion was unfounded also. 
but they had no problem running that stuff 24-7, Russian collusion, Russian collusion. Why? Because that was the narrative they liked, because they thought if they could discredit the president, then they would take away his ability to shut down the things that he wanted to shut down with China. It doesn't get more disloyal than that. And this isn't a left-right issue. This is not left-right. China is a communist country. They run concentration camps for ethnic Muslims. Recently, there was a report of the Department of Justice indicting eight Chinese citizens who came to the United States and brought with them other citizens from China. They coerced them into lying on applications for visas so that they could get visas to come to America. And they brought them here to intimidate Chinese citizens who were publicly complaining about China and the United States. And they figured this is the way to shut them down, to dangle a family member in front of them and say, hey, you're not going to do this or else. These people, your family, they're going to pay for it. That's not how any friendly country should be functioning. This is outrageous. It's criminal. It's criminal to dangle family members in front of someone who's speaking actually the truth, and you're going to shut them down by threatening a family member? But did the mainstream media report on it? God only knows. They limit it. I remember not long ago, Google said they were willing to work with the Chinese government to censor the people in China. Think about that. But they would not work with the U.S. military because they had moral concerns. Our military gave them moral concerns, but a totalitarian communist regime in China, everything is cool, even if we're going to use our technology to censor the citizens of China. Maybe it was a dry run for what they're doing to Americans today. I don't care where you stand politically. We should all have the freedom of speech. And just realize that maybe right now the, the people that are out there controlling freedom of speech are on your side, so you're happy. That worm can turn. It's disturbing to me that they did a survey in the schools, and there were kids in school who said they thought it was okay to use violence in limited situations where you vehemently disagree with the other person. These are the snowflakes, the ones who have uh, microaggressions use violence to, to shut people up in America? Are you crazy? We don't teach the kids in America today about the dangers of communism and totalitarianism. And then you see what looks like, as the president described it, shenanigans uh, with the election. And that made me think back to something that Joseph Stalin had said. It's not a matter of who votes, but who counts the vote. I'm paraphrasing. That wasn't the exact quote, but that was the gist of what he said. It's not a matter of who votes, but who counts the vote. But if you try to tell that to kids today, the first question they're going to ask you is, who's Joseph Stalin? And I'm sure that they don't know that Joseph Stalin, to control his people, killed between 40 and 60 million Russians. You know, there's two ways you can motivate people and pets. Think about it, the carrot or the stick. You can train a dog by rewarding dogs' good behavior or punishing a dog for bad behavior the best thing you could do and the most humane thing you could do and the most effective thing you could do is reward good behavior, not punish bad behavior, other than maybe yell bad or something, you know, so they know you're not happy. Same thing with people. Communism is a brilliant idea in theory. You know, it sounds so wonderful, so altruistic, to each according to his needs, from each according to his ability. That's wonderful. But the thing is, there's no reward for doing more work or doing better work. And so there goes the carrot. There is no carrot. So what's left? The stick. So the question is, do you want to live under a carrot or do you want to live under a stick? You see? My dog will do things that I ask it to do, sit, give me your paw, the routine stuff. I give her a treat, and she does what, what I ask it to do. That's Capitalism. You do what's expected of you, you do a good job, and you get a reward. Work harder, you get a reward. Except now we really don't have capitalism in the United States. We have social welfare. What do I mean by that? Or, or, or um, uh, corporate welfare, rather. Forgive me, corporate welfare. Why do I call it corporate welfare? Well, think about it. Um, someone said to me in, in discussing capitalism, he said, well, capitalism only guarantees opportunity, not outcome. And I asked this person, it was on a radio show, do you really believe that? He said, yes. And I said, and we live in a, in a capitalist society. He said, absolutely. I said, no guarantee of outcome. He said, nope, it doesn't work that way. 
So I asked him to explain how the golden parachute works. I mean, think about it. Could you imagine getting a job as, as a carpenter and, and the guy that hires you says, hey, Charlie, we're hiring you. We're going to pay you, you know, whatever it is, $30 an hour. But if you screw up, we'll, we'll give you 100000 on the way out the door. Have you ever had a job like that, folks? I don't think so. But how many corporate executives are hired and they're told if you have to leave the company, if we part company, you'll be able to walk out the door with $10 million, $30 million, whatever the number is. It's insane. Don't tell me there's no guarantee of outcome in that situation. Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez rails all the time about corporate welfare. She complained about the notion that in New York, uh, Google was going to set up shop, but they had to be given a tax abatement so they wouldn't have to pay taxes. And there were some people, conservatives, that, oh, look how stupid she is. They were going to bring so many jobs to New York. Well, any company that brings jobs to New York, by extension, shouldn't pay taxes. So the guy that has a delicatessen down the block that employs six people, he shouldn't have to be, pay taxes. Why? Because he's created jobs. And it's remarkable that there are some people that don't get it. But for me, if you're a successful company, you pay taxes, and you become more successful, and you make more money, and the wheels go round, and everyone's happy. If I was the mayor of New York and a company like Google wanted to come to New York, you pay your taxes. Yeah, I'll, I'll change uh, street parking and maybe the direction of traffic. Maybe I'll widen the street to make more room for your trucks. There are things that I, as a mayor, should be willing to do to entice companies to come to New York, but not paying taxes. Have you lost your mind? So that is corporate welfare. But the real big example of corporate welfare is one that the Democrats don't talk about anymore. Bernie Sanders talked about it 15 years ago. And what's that? Having foreign workers come to America and take the jobs of Americans. Bernie Sanders screamed about it and said people that hire illegal aliens should be prosecuted. You're taking jobs away from Americans, and you're lowering wages. He was right. And then someone flipped the switch, and everyone's all in. Let's displace American worker with foreign workers. So what do you have? You have American kids who come out of school. They graduated with honors. They're well-trained, and they can't get a job in their chosen profession because we have people with H-1B visas coming to America and displacing them, except now Donald Trump has been trying to do something about it. So if he loses this election, that's going away. And Biden made it abundantly clear, oh, no, no, we're going to bring in those H-1Bs. Yes, bring them all. Let's have them all come here. And at the same time, he's boasting about how he's going to create great jobs that pay lots of money for millions of Americans. It doesn't work that way. You can't be in two places at one time. And that's why I had written an article at the front page, and after the podcast, I'd love for you to look it up. Biden's Build Back Better is bunk. So here's what I want you to do, because looking in the rearview mirror and play the woulda, coulda, shoulda game with the Trump election, that's not productive. It's frustrating. Um, frankly, I hope he's successful in court. I, I hope he has the evidence that he needs, and I hope that he convinces the judges that there was malfeasance in this year's election. <clears throat> if that's, in fact, the case, then let it go that direction, and I'll be a happy guy. But even if that doesn't work out, we're not going to throw up our hands and say it's over. This is like playing chess and losing the queen. It's a devastating loss in a chess game, but you don't get up from the table and walk away and say, I'm going to surrender. So what we really need to do is make a concerted effort to reach out to all of our elected representatives and say, listen, we have a problem. The Biden administration wants to have a massive amnesty program so that illegal aliens will get free college and they will get free education, uh, free uh, health care. That's nutty. If you're here illegally, you know, Harry Reid made that point even about um, birthright citizenship. He railed about how insane it is for people to come here illegally and then be given welfare or education or anything. He said, that's crazy. And why should their children be citizens at birth if they shouldn't have been here in the first place? You say, interesting. Again, suddenly they flip-flopped. Well, we need to look at this whole notion of free health care for illegal aliens. If you don't enforce the immigration laws, and Biden has said he wouldn't, and a chilling thought occurred to me that, you know, what if he decided to make Cuomo the attorney general? You wouldn't even need to have legislation to create amnesty. Cuomo as attorney general could just call up every assistant U.S. attorney in the country and say, hey, 
as Attorney General, I'm giving you your marching orders, and you'll stop prosecuting immigration law violations because we have higher priority issues that concern us. Prosecutorial discretion, that's called. It would be devastating. So imagine if you dangle free health care, free education, the people around the world, and you tell them that if you come here illegally, it won't matter. We won't prosecute you, and we won't do much to try to get rid of you. Probably nothing, in fact, unless you want to leave on your own. You will turn the United States into the world's emergency room, the world's ER. Want to go to a hospital? Lots of luck. You know how long the waiting line to the ER would be under those conditions? About three days long. And something else to consider. Imagine people with dangerous communicable diseases living everywhere in the world, Asia, Africa, North, you know, uh, Europe, you name it. It doesn't much matter where. Can't get treatment in your home country. Come to America one way or the other, literally by hook or by crook, and you're going to get free health care. So people with dangerous communicable diseases, the number one item, by the way, on the list of reasons why aliens are to be excluded, let's remember that Ellis Island was a quarantine station. People with dangerous diseases will be flocking to the United States looking to be treated because they can't be treated in their home country. The cost would be devastating, and the cost in human life could be off the scale. You think we have a problem with COVID-19 right now? Imagine if more deadly diseases uh, were brought to the country by people seeking free medical care because they're not getting that care in their home country. How many people could lose their lives? How disastrous could that possibly be? And for all the talk about sustainability and the Green New Deal, well, everybody who comes to the United States, even if you're here temporarily, has an environmental footprint because everyone who's here needs more than a pillow to sleep on. Everybody inside our country, in every country, in fact, human beings on a daily basis, well, what do we need? We need water. We need food. How many acres of land do you need to grow enough food for one person for a year? You need water. You need food. You need electricity. You need sewerage. Everyone goes to the bathroom, right? Now, imagine if you legalize 25 million illegal aliens, and that number is probably optimistic. There's probably going to be more. And on average, if let's say they each brought in four children because they would immediately have the right to bring their kids here, we're talking about an influx, potentially, of 100 million immigrant minors. They are also required to be educated if they're under the age of 16. What would that do to our educational system? And in a short period of time, they're going to start to grow up. They're going to become old enough to join the labor pool. So now we're flooding 100 million workers into an overflowing labor pool while Joe Biden says, I'm going to create millions of high-paying jobs for Americans. Ow. Ow. And on top of that, he wants to eliminate the fracking and the burning of fossil fuels, and, and we're going to have electric vehicles. Well, that's great, but here's the question nobody bothers asking. See, the, the questions are so critical, folks. Here's the question. I, I wonder if this one occurred to you. If you flood the country, the roads, with electric vehicles, where will you get the power to charge the batteries for those electric vehicles? Because right now, a lot, of our, a lot of our electricity is generated by burning coal and other fossil fuels. Eliminate coal, the other fossil fuels, we're going to take a major hit in our ability to produce electricity. And electricity will become much more expensive. So now, how do we charge the batteries in those electric vehicles? And the answer is, well, we probably will have a hell of a time trying and you add to that 100 million people who will all have a need for electricity one way or the other? See, the trick with politicians is they make promises and don't keep them. One of the things I like about President Trump is that list that he has, and it's a big list, really big list. Promises made, promises kept. That also freaks politicians out because generally politicians promise us everything, the sun, the moon, the stars, they don't deliver, and people shrug their shoulders. You know what they say? <laughs> Another politician. No recourse. You buy a car, it doesn't start. You can bring it back to the dealer. They fix it, or you get your money back. It's a lemon. You want, you want your money back. When politicians make promises and they don't keep them, what's your recourse? Well, there's always the next election. And if it's a senator, it's six years from now. Lots of luck. So we need to jump the gun on this one. 
we need to get the people who are, who are representing us in Washington especially and say to those members of Congress, say to those members of the Senate, I have some real concerns. If President Biden is elected and he implements his immigration policies, we're screwed. A hundred million young immigrants coming to America, going to school, requiring food and water, electricity and sewerage. My God, how in the world will we deal with that kind of a massive influx? And I want you to start educating these politicians now. Many of them don't realize it. Even President Trump was running around saying 11 million, 11 million, 11 million, maybe 15 million, maybe 115 million. You know, a long time ago when Jim Sensenbrenner was the chairman of the House Judiciary Committee, he came out in support of George W. Bush's guest worker program. It's interesting because I hung an extra name on that. I called it the guest worker amnesty program. And I was a regular on Lou Dobbs back then. And Lou picked up on it right away. In fact, I wrote an article, and that night Lou Dobbs came on when he was at CNN. And if you remember the program back then, his announcer intoned, Ladies and gentlemen, Mr. Independent, Lou Dobbs. And Lou came on and said, Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. In Washington, President George W. Bush continues to push his guest worker amnesty program. And from that day on, everyone called it the guest worker amnesty program. And Jim Sensenbrenner, who at the time chaired the House Judiciary Committee, came out in full support. And it gave me nightmares. Because if you look at the 9-11 Commission report, and I provided testimony to that commission, immigration fraud people lying on immigration applications, was the primary method for entry and embedding by the terrorists, and not just the 9-11 hijackers, almost all of them. And so I had a chance meeting with Sensenbrenner when I was on a panel discussion down in Washington at the Rayburn House office building. They gave us a hearing room. The reporters were there, and there were a bunch of experts on the dais, on military, on radical Islam, on funding terrorism, and so forth. I was there to discuss the immigration aspect. Immigration was central to the ability of terrorists to enter the United States and embed themselves. And I said, Mr. Chairman, you came out with a statement last week, and if I couldn't sleep at night because you kept me awake, then I don't want you sleeping at night. And he said, Mr. Cutler, are we talking about national security? I said, well, I sure as heck wouldn't be discussing my sex life with you, which got him and everyone else to laugh, and I did it with a purpose. Because some politicians are out there, to use the LBJ, the Lyndon Johnson expression, pressing the flesh, what they're looking to do is ingratiate themselves with the average American, hoping that maybe they'll get a campaign contribution, and if the person lives in their district, maybe they'll vote for them. So I wanted to break them out of what I call campaign mode to get them to really listen. And humor is a very good tool. And so he said to me, what about national security that I addressed that scares you or worries you? I said, well, you came out in favor of George W. Bush's, President Bush's guest worker amnesty program. He said, well, what's the problem? I said, well, we can't interview all those people. And we certainly can't do field investigations. So fraud is going to permeate the program and national security and fraud. That's a real connection. And I said, and by the way, because of that, if we don't have fingerprints, let's say bin Laden or his henchmen on file, what would prevent Osama bin Laden? This was about three years or two years after 9-11. What would prevent him from walking into an immigration office? He gets rid of his Freddie Flintstone desert getup. He puts on either an Armani suit or jeans and and, uh, sweatshirt. He gets a haircut, gets rid of his scraggly beard, puts in contact lenses to change his apparent eye color, puts lifts in his shoes so he's now two inches taller than you thought he was. And if he walked in and said, my name is Donald Duck, and if his fingerprints aren't on file... They run the fingerprints. It comes back no record, so that's okay. They run Donald Duck. Well, that's a fake name, so that's going to come back no record. I said, this program is supporting, Mr. Chairman. Within 48 hours, it would likely give Osama bin Laden and some of his most sociopathic henchmen official identity documents and fake names that they could immediately use to get driver's licenses, credit cards, get jobs that if they didn't involve uh, national security, could involve critical infrastructure. He could use the ID to get into corporate and government office buildings. They said, hell, he could walk into your office. He would have access to airplanes. And I want to know, why would you do this to us? Why would you create a program that encourages more illegal immigration and at the same time undermines national security and public safety? 
Now, the interesting thing was he was taken aback, and it was a quick conversation, roughly as quick as I just presented it to you. And he said, well, I'm going to have to give this some thought. A week later, I got a call from the folks over at the House Judiciary Committee, and they wanted to know what I had told Sensenbrenner because he walked in furious and said, that guy Cutler is right. This is a bad idea. Why are you guys telling me it's a good idea? And that's the point, because most members of Congress rely on their staffers for advice on how to deal with these issues. And many of those staffers are looking for the opportunity to leave government and go work for a lobbying outfit at twice the pay. I've often said that if you want to power America with clean electricity, all you need to do is hook generators onto the shafts of those revolving doors that all of those bureaucrats in Washington go through on their way to K Street where the lobbyists are. You could power America. So the trick here is to be able to get a hold of that congressman or that senator directly and say, please stop before you act. If we enact or you enact a massive amnesty program, once it gets started, you can't stop it. Because people would run to court and they'd say, it's arbitrary. You can't stop it. You took care of 10,000 people. You took care of 10 million people. You took care of, why now? And most likely the courts would side with them. So this is like driving the car off the cliff. You can't fix the car that's gone down the embankment. You know, it goes down the embankment, blows up, and all you have are charred remains. I don't think anyone is going to be serious about saying, why don't we take it to a car wash? Maybe it'll be okay. No, there's no fixing this. If we are dumb enough as a country to provide amnesty for 25 million illegal aliens or 20 million or 30 million, these numbers are huge, and they bring in their kids. We are sunk. And this isn't xenophobia. I don't care if these kids come from from, uh, Europe or, or anywhere. It doesn't matter. They're people, and people need water and food and clothing and shelter and education and health care. We'd be sunk. We would be sunk. So we need to get to the politicians before this damn thing comes up for a vote, before Biden tries to do this to us, if, again, he's announced to be the president of the United States. This is so critical. It was my belief that this issue alone should have been enough to convince people to not vote for him, but nobody knew about it because when I went to various news organizations and spoke to producers that I know, because after 9-11, I was averaging 30 television interviews per month on all the networks. Believe it or not, MSNBC, CNN, Fox News, ABC, I was running from one news network to the other and doing radio interviews from the back of the car they sent for me. It was nuts. Because people understood that immigration and terrorism, you know, the interconnection. Nobody wants to talk about immigration. I was talking to a producer for a very well-known conservative television program, and the person said, well, we're not talking about immigration. We're focused on COVID and the election. I said, but do you understand the president protected America by invoking a section of immigration law to prevent the entry of people into the United States from China and then Europe because the concern was they were bringing the COVID virus with them. Immigration was a major issue here. Title VIII, United States Code, Section 1182F. How could you not discuss this? It wasn't a travel ban. It was an entry restriction. And it was an entry restriction that the president had in his, at his disposal because of that section of law I just quoted. I said, why aren't you getting the word out there so that people understand that if Biden has the opportunity, what he wants to do with immigration could cause massive numbers of people with dangerous diseases to come to America and could cause perhaps 100 million immigrant children to legally come to the United States. This would be devastating. Not because they're foreigners, quote unquote, but because we don't have the wherewithal, the capacity to deal with that kind of an entrance on a mass scale. And they refuse to discuss it. I'm willing to bet that people you know who consider themselves to be Democrats and liberals would look at that and say, wait a minute, if that's really true, this is a bad idea. We need to give this some thought. And that's why censorship is so frightening. Because if you don't have the knowledge that you need to make informed decisions, you're going to make very bad decisions. There was a clothing store in New York City, and it was a discount clothing store. They had some of the best clothing, best-name brands, and, and, and the prices were really great. I had bought a Burberry trench coat for, I think, one-third the price. It was amazing. I still have it. 
I bought that darn thing almost 30 years ago, and it's still holding up, and I've shoved it into the, the overhead baggage compartments of I don't know how many airplanes, and when I put it on, it looks like it just came out of the store. They make a great product. And Cy Sims, that was his store, he used to have a slogan, that Sims, an educated consumer, is our best customer. Educated. Because you had to appreciate, I guess, the value of what he was selling. We're not educated consumers these days where it comes to politics because we are being given what we used to call the mushroom treatment back in government. You know, keep the people in the dark and feed them a lot of uh, fertilizer, the mushroom treatment. The refusal to tell the American people Hunter Biden is under investigation or may be under investigation. You're not going to hear it. That the Biden plan to legalize 11 million illegal aliens would likely involve 25 million but that's the tip of a huge iceberg is when they can bring all their children and their spouses to the United States legally. Where do we go with that? They wouldn't discuss it. Frequently you hear journalists questioning politicians in an accusatory tone. Why have you not passed comprehensive immigration reform? They should be saying, thank God you didn't pass it, because that's exactly what we're talking about right now. In fact, my concerns about this was so great but back in 2006, I wrote an op-ed for the Washington Times that then U.S. Senator Jeff Sessions quoted from the floor of the Senate, and he said it was his belief that his ability to quote my piece in the Washington Times was the ammunition that he needed to defeat bad legislation, because I came to call that piece of legislative detritus the Terrorist Assistance and Facilitation Act. All these people with no capacity to interview them in person or do field investigations, lots of luck. I've since written an article for Front Page Magazine. I've given it a second nickname. I also call it the Overwhelm America Act. But if you're running a news program that this is news that the American people should have, these aren't left-right issues, folks. Getting jobs for Americans, left-right. Making sure we don't get hit by more terrorists, is that left-right? Making sure we do everything reasonable that we can possibly do to prevent another pandemic from ravaging our people here in the United States? Is that left-right or is that simply a pro-American concern, a common-sense concern, a humane concern? The news media, social media, they've turned into the Ministry of Truth right out of the pages of 1984. By the way, if you never read 1984, I'm giving you a homework assignment. Go read it. It's an eye-opener, I promise you. But this is what I would urge you to do. Look at the situation preemptively. If you're upset with the fact that President Trump lost the election, if it goes that way, and it hasn't gone that way yet, let's not jump the gun. But if it goes that way. And Joe Biden said within the first 100 days of taking office, he was going to give lawful status to all these aliens and stop enforcing immigration laws. Well, we need to make certain that as many of our elected representatives in Washington understand fully what the implications of that kind of policy decision would be for everybody. This certainly is not in America's best interests, not because I'm xenophobic, but because I'm realistic. Clint Eastwood used to have a line in his movies as Dirty Harry, a man's got to know his limitations. Well, let me tell you, countries need to know their limitations too. When we put together a list for a party, we start out with many more names than the number of people that we ultimately invite. We start out with maybe 80 names that we whittle it down to 50, and then we get down to 30, the number that we can actually invite, that we have the money or the places at the table. It's not that we dislike the people that we leave off the list. It's that we just accept the reality that we have limitations. Let's keep a close eye on what's happening with this election, but let's not let it drive us crazy uh, one way or the other, we'll get through this. But let's make certain that we do get involved in politics. You know, I, I always like to make that statement that democracy is not a spectator sport. And I think when I look at the voter turnout this year, Americans are starting to wake up. Um, to use an expression the Japanese used after they attacked Pearl Harbor, they've awakened the sleeping giant. I hope this time that sleeping giant are the American citizens who are eager to take their responsibilities as citizens. Seriously. Have a great weekend, everybody. We've got Veterans Day coming up. Let's remember the amazing sacrifices that the veterans made. Um, and I look forward to seeing you again next week right here uh, at the Michael Cutler Hour. Please check out Team DML 
and join that group. Take care.